Hey, beautiful people, and thank you for listening to the Bang 2-3 podcast. If you find this funny, entertaining, or insightful, feel free to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, or if you want to make my day, go show us some love on our Instagram page, because I love each and every single one of you. Thank you for listening. So we were talking about, you've worked at tech for a long time as a woman. Was there ever maybe a situation where you felt like your opinion was valued less because you were a girl? It's a good question. I cannot think of a situation that I felt I was valued less. Um, There are situations I felt maybe a little bit of bias against me. I don't know if valued less, but some, some bias. In what Not way? always intentional. In a way that if I'm a fit to be a manager, for example, if I'm a fit to uh, to be promoted. So sometimes I felt like maybe there's some bias against me, and and not in some cases there was at least one case that I I found in hindsight that there was a bias against me. Um, but in most for the most part, I didn't feel that people you know, respected me less or anything. I think it was more internal. So as, as I started mentioning before, uh, before our connection, you know, got lost, mm-hmm. is that um, be- just the situation that you are different from everyone else causes you yeah. a lot of times to feel less like you belong. And and I think it starts with that. So if I'm the only woman working only with men, then there's something there, you know, yeah. I will feel maybe, and especially, you know, um, when you work with a bunch of guys, and especially when you when you do stuff outside of work, right? You're trying to network to to connect, and and I was managing teams, so I was also trying to do some activities to have fun. A lot of times, I had to do things that I really couldn't connect to, but that's what the majority wanted, like going to a baseball game, <laughs> um, shooting. Uh, I don't know what we did, um, archery. You know, shooting darts or different things that yeah if you ask me that's not my thing Mm -hmm. but i had to do it just because that's what the guys wanted to do and it's not a bad thing but it's like okay i had to suck it up because that's kind of the environment i'm at it's so funny you mentioned that because i think being an engineer i have done those things i we had company events. Hey, where are we going to go? We went to a baseball game. We did like axe throwing. Yeah, is, axe throwing. Uh, I didn't do it myself, but other teams did it. Yeah. Yeah, this type of stuff that's just kind of not geared towards maybe girls or. Did you have a, women in, in the team? Yes, we did. Well, we had one. It was a small team of maybe six to seven engineers. We had one woman. And can I just say, too, my experience working with women engineers is y'all are way smarter. Um, a lot of the guy engineers that I would work with, not a lot of them, uh, usually coders, software engineers are some of the most well thought out people that I've ever met in my life. They're extremely, if they have an opinion, they can go five miles deep on that opinion. And it's extremely impressive. But the few number of women that I've worked with, it's a whole different level. I remember this one woman I worked with, her name was Madhu. Anytime I would come and talk to her, I would maybe be looking at a piece of code and I would say, hmm, I think there's a bug in this. I think this is where my bug is. I think it's right here. And I look like, oh, who wrote this code? I'm like, oh, it's Madhu. I know that I need to research it 10 times more because Mm. she is going to have rebuttals for everything, everything that I throw. I say, hey, you know, you kind of did it this way and I don't think that's right. And boom, she would say, no, this is why it is right. And she was just so freaking smart. And it seemed like every single woman that I work with was just so smart and impressive that I was like, wow, I don't understand why more women are not software engineers. Yeah, that's a question that uh, is hard to answer. Maybe, you know, I I think it starts at a younger age, probably. Mm. Uh, That uh, maybe girls don't think that they can do it or... You, they don't you try. That, you think that maybe like a guy may look at nursing and say, "Oh, this is ninety-five percent women. I I can't be a nurse. That's weird. I don't. I'm not even going to try." And you think that girls are looking at, "Oh, you know, I kind of like computers. 
oh yeah i can't be an engineer you know it's a bunch of it madness. could be it could be because of uh, the society kind of uh, perception of it and uh, how people yeah it could be so i think we need to encourage more girls to try it mm-hmm. and and look at it as like yeah everyone can do everything my oldest daughter she's an art student right now and uh, i think they have almost only women there mm-hmm. and it's not like they are not great artists that are men you know uh if you look at history i mean actually most of the known artists are men but something like okay it's a profession for women <laughs> like mm-hmm. women are drawing and all that and so it's something about how societies look at this and uh why women for some reason think that yeah uh writing code is not for for girls mm. i wonder do you think that there's a propensity in the nature of girls to not either not like writing code or maybe not being good at code for example you could say that when more women are nurses because women are more caring and you want your nurse to be caring do you think that this type of i guess genetic makeup exists with coding i don't think so i think that they are they can do it as as good as if not more it just uh I don't think they give themselves a chance. Mm. I, I actually agree with you. Like, like I said earlier, I think girls are way smarter. Yeah. They're, they're way more, more analytical. Um, I just don't know why. So let's say hypothetically, I'm a 12-year-old girl. I know I don't look like it, but I'm just going to play a 12-year-old girl right now. And I say, hey, Lamar, I really don't know what I want to do, but I really like tech. And I like math. And I've seen this computer programming stuff. I really kind of want to do that. What should I do next? Mm-hmm. Take a class. Mm. Try it out. Yeah. Maybe there's an online class. Maybe there's a class nearby. Uh, if not at school, then after school, maybe there's some program you can join. Try it out and see if you like it or not. And what if I say, well, I don't know, I'm 12 years old and that class is full of a bunch of boys. And that's that. I feel weird because they look at me funny. <laughs> yeah, so maybe so maybe if you feel uncomfortable going to class, maybe you'll do something online or look up for uh, Girls Who Code or some organization that you'll feel more comfortable. Yeah. What I would say to that 12-year-old girl is screw them boys. You go and do you. Don't let these other boys control what you do. If you like it, you go freaking do it. And if they have anything to say to you, just brush it off because, listen, in five years, you're going to kick all their asses. That, that's what I would say. Because <laughs> right. it's true. It's so true. I think it is one thing to guys specifically. Now, now, let me preface all of this. I'm not the expert in women who code. I'm not. I've worked with like three or four women engineers. That's it. So this is my sample size. Very small. But guys can be very macho in code. It can be very mm-hmm. like they'll challenge you. They'll be like, Maybe you have a solution. Maybe the your manager says, hey, we need to build this feature for Twitter. We want tweets to have a special type of reply for politicians or something like that. And maybe as a girl engineer, you come up and say, oh, well, I know how to solve that problem. Here's exactly how to solve it. Guys will come and they will shoot you down like crazy. And not only will they shoot you down, uh, which maybe is not a bad thing, but their egos are tied to that argument in a unique way that I found. Uh, whereas if you challenge, if you say, listen, you can't shoot me down because your argument is half-baked too. And then if you argue back against that guy, you're not arguing against his argument, you're arguing against him and he feels yeah. personally attacked. And so I think this can be very intimidating, man. You gotta be a tough chick to survive. <laughs> I think it depends on the environment you're at, but in general, you're right. Men are more uh, driven by ego than women. And women, I don't know if she'll say, oh, I I know how to solve it. I'll tell you how to do it. Rather than, hey, let's figure this out. I have some ideas. I'd love to hear yours. So women in in, in general are more open to collaboration and discussions and and less driven by ego. But again, it's, it's huge generalization because not all men are like that. But that's kind yes. of in general. I, I, I remember that um, in Sun Microsystems, you mentioned it prior. Uh, so I uh, we worked globally. We had teams in many countries. And I remember that uh, we had a team in Russia and um, it was, you know, 
many years ago, way before Zoom and all that. So you work with people that you never met and maybe you talk with them on a conference call, right? You never saw their faces. So you didn't have a lot of connection with them. Mm-hmm. And, and, and there was a person that was writing, I would say, nasty code reviews, really nasty. <laughs> yeah. I, I see it as nasty, but I we've all been maybe- there. We've all maybe been there, from by the his way. Culture, yeah, maybe from his culture, it was okay. I don't know. but And I used to take it very personally. Mm-hmm. I think that it is super. Me. I think that's, this is a great dynamic. And for those who are listening, who maybe are not coders, the code review is, is as an engineer, you're going to write code to maybe f- solve some problem. And then you're going to publish this code to your peers to, for review. And they'll say, hey, maybe this is wrong or maybe this is right i think a good code reviewer would tell you both they will say you did this right great job maybe change this but in tech you will get some very aggressive i don't want to call them assholes even though they may be Hmm. uh you will get some you will get some very aggressive code reviewers who want to nitpick you on everything that yeah. and just and it can be extremely disturbing it, it can yeah. it really tears you down because this code is not just code it's your work you put your heart each each line of code may have taken you 30 minutes to think about and man you type it slow and you thought about the pros and cons of each line of code and then have some guy or girl come and absolutely crush destroy it and tell you 10 reasons why it's wrong can be really hard. So if you are a girl or a guy looking to get into code, you know, if you don't have thick skin, you may develop it pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, but it doesn't have to be that way. I think that uh, a good code of view, in my opinion, will try to challenge you mm. about different uh, edge cases or different scenarios you haven't thought about. Instead of telling you you're wrong, yes, try to challenge you. Yeah, th- this is a great point too. Um, I'm kind of... I've been speaking a lot on like the negatives, but not all engineers are like that. You're right. Some of my best, some of the best code reviewers I've seen do not really publish critiques. They ask questions. And so exactly, exactly. Yeah. They'll say, Hey, I noticed you wrote this piece of code. What would happen if this happened? Um, Hey, I noticed you wrote this piece of code to send an email. What happens if the email is not a legitimate email? What would happen? And then as the author of the code, you say, huh, I actually didn't think about that. And let me fix that. Wow. And that's what a good code review looks like. That's the right way to do code review, to challenge. That's exactly what I meant. And, uh, And we have to all remember that there's no one way, right? And... Everyone likes to think that their way is the best. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, you have to accept that every engineer writes code differently, and that may not be a bad thing. I mean, assuming that they cover their bases and the code, their code is solid. Yeah, you may you may have written it differently, but it doesn't mean that that's the only way. Exactly, and and that's the the good open minded engineer. What made you go from engineering to management? What what was your motivation? So there are several motivations. So first of all, I realized that uh, I wanted to be a manager in several situations. Looking backwards, one was that I had a great manager, and I remember I was just at the beginning of my career. I had a great manager, and I looked up to him. He was handling like global team, multinationals, very challenging people. Not the, just those people from Russia, but from other countries. And and he was like magically navigating that. It was mm-hmm. incredible. And, and I remember um, sitting in meetings with him and saying, oh, I want to become like him one day. I want to mm-hmm. be like that. Yeah. And the second thing that I think a trigger that happened that in Sun Microsystems, was, one day I was in a, I was actually in North Carolina for a trip, for a business trip, and my manager called me and said, congratulations, you were promoted to a staff engineer. Wow. And, uh, That's a huge and, deal. Uh, yeah, it's a big deal. And uh, back then, and Sun was actually innovative in every everything you can think about it, but also in career path. Because uh, back then, I mean, uh, 
most most people in the tech realm uh, were, you know, in order to move forward in your career, you had to go to some some leadership positions. And Sun was actually unique in, in a way that they had a technical path and and a leadership path. And now now it's very common, like everyone does it. But Sun was kind of relatively pioneering in that field. And 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 when I was getting when I got this promotion uh, call, I was thinking, hmm. I mean, I'm happy that I got promoted, but I'm not so happy <laughs> about it, actually, because that's not what I want. <laughs> I realized that uh, back then that I'm like, yeah, I don't want to become an expert. Mm. I like looking at things from a broader perspective. I uh, I like to work with people. I like to navigate relationships with people and challenges. And uh, that was, I think, one of the triggers that I realized that I actually didn't want to pursue the Mm. the individual contributor path. Did you notice this whenever you were an engineer? Because I think that's somewhat of a unique uh, perspective that, hey, I kind of like people. I like relationships. A lot of engineers hate people. <laughs> they hate, they would much rather talk to a computer than people uh, all day. So whenever you were an engineer, did you notice that, hmm, I kind of like to chit chat to people and this is different. Yeah, I noticed that I like working in a team. I liked working with people. I like working with clients. Uh, I liked, as I mentioned, like this manager, he was a master, right, in in, in solving interpersonal communication challenges, and uh, and it, that intrigued me. Yeah. What What about his mastery of solving these problems? Like, struck you because this sounds very very vague how did he solve these problems so he was able to say the right things or ask the right questions when someone was acting nasty Mm. and there was something you know because think about it back then if you're a global team the only way you communicate is via a phone bridge you don't see their faces you don't know those people many times and it's hard. It makes communication more challenging because you don't know the people. Mm-hmm. And 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 sometimes calls got kind of heated because of us versus them and all that. And uh, he knew how to help people realize that it's not us versus them. It's us, all of us together. And, and by just asking questions, he was not telling people what to do. It was nothing, hey, you cannot behave that way or stop fighting or whatever. It was like asking questions and i i really thought that's really cool i think that's a great point great point i think a lot of times people view leaders either in tech anything they view leaders as people who have all the right answers but i think in my opinion good leaders are people who ask all the right questions and that is such a powerful skill that not many people have whenever you said it was us versus them i was curious at that because i see this dynamic a lot who was the us and who was the them in your situation well it was many years ago so i don't even remember <laughs> i think every I, I think every every side were uh, uh, okay to, yeah i don't it, remember the exact it was many years ago but uh, i remember there were a lot of fights so <laughs> yeah every man and woman for themselves because I, yeah. I know that in a lot of teams that I work at, the us is the engineers and the them is the business. And every uh, dis- because business steers engineering, right? They yeah, make the money, yeah. the CEOs and whatnot. And man, engineers hate this, hate this uh, all the time because engineers love to critique people. They're very smart. So the CEO comes down and says, hey, we're building this new Twitter feature and go ahead and build it, engineer. And engineers... Usually first thing is, that's stupid. Why are we building that? That doesn't make sense. We could build this. This is way better. And it is just a dynamic that never ends. So having a great engineer, I mean, a great manager to diffuse that, super important, super important. Did you ever, did you ever come close to being as awesome as that manager that you admired? I hope I did. (laughs) Hard for me to say about myself, right? But I, uh, I think I was. Uh, I mean, the feedback I, I got was that I, I was able to give people a sense of ownership and navigate navigate conflicts in a way that is collaborative and uh, 
and listening very well to people. So I'm hoping in my way, like in my own way, right, that I was able to be as awesome. Yeah. Did you ever feel like you were treated different by engineers because you were a girl? Sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah. They didn't take me as seriously, maybe. Wow. That's so and, and I think it, it's, uh, you know, it takes time to build a trust. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's true for any manager. I think... I think maybe an edge that you had was that you were an engineer before you were a manager. And so I think engineers like to see these technical chops or that they previously had these technical chops. And uh, I, I've always approached managers as I'm going to follow you until really until the end, because that's my job, right? That's what I'm paid for. Uh, I would never sass managers or be a, a jerk to them or whatever. I think as an engineer, we do get paid to give our feedback, but it's very important to give that feedback in a constructive way because as engineers, we do not know the entire picture. Usually managers do. And so... And that's, yeah, and that's the manager's job. Yeah. To share with you that picture, right? I mean, as you mentioned, if... Uh, the contention between the business and engineers, it happens when engineers don't understand the why and the bigger picture. So you constantly need to make sure that people understand why they're doing certain things, even if they disagree, by the way. Disagreeing is okay as long as they disagree and commit and they understand at least why you're asking them to do something. They may not like it, but at least they understand. This is extremely important. And the understanding is very important. Uh, the there's nothing, there's not an easier way to really demoralize some engineers than say, "Hey, build this thing. Why are we building it? Just build it because I said so." Right? It's, it's not going to work. Yeah, anymore. I don't think that that works anymore. Right? Engineers are a tough crowd, and uh, <laughs> it's already hard to keep people satisfied. And and they're you know maybe nowadays. With, with the recession, it, maybe it's a little bit different, but in general, engineers are very spoiled and uh, not easy <laughs> all the time to keep them happy, right? To keep engineers happy. And uh, and that's why you really need to know this I told you so is not going to hold water. It's not going to help you as a manager and people are not going to stick around. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I think also a great transition to some of our hacker news topics, talking about engineers, um, how they're spoiled. I agree, by the way, I'm spoiled. Uh, I get paid large amounts of money to type on a keyboard. <laughs> you know, people get paid a fraction of what I get paid to dig ditches, which is crazy. Um, let's transition to some of our, so we're gonna talk about the top three stories on hacker news right now as we record this podcast on November 6th. So we're gonna start off with the third story. So we're gonna go in reverse order, instead of one, two, three. Okay. We'll start off with the Stripe story. And just to kind of tee it up here, Stripe um, is laying off about 14% of his workforce. Uh, why is this interesting? Stripe is in the tech world considered really one of the best run companies out there. Their CEO pinned an email, like a personal email to those being laid off. Some of the things that really struck me about it, my emotions while reading this letter from the CEO to its employees saying, hey, we're laying off 14% of, of our staff is, man, I really want to work for Stripe. <laughs> I really want to work for Stripe because in my opinion, the way they handled this was a lot better than a lot of other companies. Just here's some bullet points. Uh, those who were laid off will get 14 weeks of severance. That means they'll get paid for the next 14 weeks. And uh, those who work there longer will get more severance. Um, they are still going to pay out the 2022 annual bonus. So even if you're laid off, you get the bonus. They're going to pay out all PTO. They're going to give you six months of health care. They're going to let you shares vest. Uh, they're going to give you career support. So help you find your next job. And for those uh, immigrants working on a visa, they're going to support them as well with the challenges that come with that. Uh, so I was like, man, this is kind of cool. The quote that really, really struck with me is, let me find it real here, real quick. It says, I'll, I'll just read, I guess, like the first paragraph. I think it's in there. Um, this is from the CEO. It says, 
Today, we're announcing the hardest change we have made at Stripe to date. We're reducing the size of our team by around 14% and saying goodbye to many talented Stripes in the process. If you're among those impacted, you'll receive a notification email within the next 15 minutes. For those leaving, we are very sorry to be taking this step. John and I are fully responsible for the decisions leading up to it. I really like the fact that the CEOs kind of said, hey, we're responsible. I thought that was kind mm -hmm. of a breath of, breath of fresh air. What what do you think? Yeah, I, I mean, definitely they are very generous. I mean, it's it's quite, I would say in the tech world, it's quite a norm to give severance package and, you know, uh, healthcare and all that, but not as much as as they gave, right? I mean, six months of healthcare is really generous. Usually it's a month. Mm -hmm. And then you have to go to Cobra, which is very expensive. Um, and, you know, 14 weeks is, is generous as well. Yeah. Yeah, that is quite a bit. So if in-tech layoffs, unfortunately, are kind of, they happen um, mm -hmm. all, far too often. I was part of a company that did layoffs, and it's, it's really terrifying as an engineer or just as an employee, it's like, oh man, my buddy just got laid off. Oh, he's fired. She's fired. Have you ever been part of around the layoffs? Yeah. How was that like? To be honest, I mean, eh, I was relieved. What? <laughs> <laughs> Why? Yeah, because um, it happened when internally I, I, I didn't want to stay there and they made a decision for me. Uh, it was also part of reduction force, and uh, I was fortunate because it's it's better to into some degrees, right? I mean, it's better when someone takes a decision for you, and you give you you get some severance package, and it's not the end of the world. It doesn't mean anything bad about you, about me. That <laughs> I guess that's how I took it. I'm a very positive person in nature, so I always uh, try to look at every at anything that happens, good or bad with um, a positive point of view and okay what did i learn what is the good thing what is good about it mm -hmm. so if i'm a stripe employee who lost their job i mean losing your job is not fun it's not a good thing no one usually people don't wish for that but at least i mean they got taken care of i mean they got good terms mm. so there's some something good that happened and it's an opportunity for them to try something else sometimes it's a good thing I love the way you approach this. You are really, <laughs> really, you have a great outlook on life. I just want to say that person to person. Thank you. I think it also kind of speaks to what you said earlier, uh, that engineers are can be spoiled. Not all of them, of course, but engineers are spoiled because you're right. While they were laid off, I mean, the severance package is, is pretty generous. And this is not normal in every industry to get severance packages. Uh, yeah. and to get healthcare and whatnot. It is, like you said, it is. In the tech, it's very normal. It's very normal to get severance packages and all of this. So um, while it sucks these people lost their job, they're given every opportunity to land on their feet and do something great at their next yeah. place. And, and they get a gift because they can take their time, relax. Uh, it's getting close to the holiday season. Uh, so they have the opportunity to unwind a little bit. I know it's you know it's hard to think about it, right? When you lost your job and everything looks grim, and how am I going to support my family? How am I you know? And it's hard. I'm not saying it's easy, but uh, I, I want to encourage people to look at the upside and try to enjoy, try to enjoy the time with their loved ones. And, and I'm sure they'll probably look forward to that too. You know, after getting laid off, I'm sure a lot of a lot of people in tech are burnt out too, going to work every day. So maybe they can take that time and reboot. If if you were the CEO at some company, uh, Lemore.com, and your investors said, "Hey, we we need to lay off 15% of the workforce," how do you think you? What would you do? First, I will try to understand, you know, uh, and challenge, right? I mean, understand the numbers and why we need to do that. Assuming that I'm convinced, I'll try to understand, okay, what's the minimal impact, how we can do it, how we can support 
um, people. And, and to be honest, I mean, one of the things that I feel, and I'm not saying that that's how they did it in Stripe or in Twitter, but laying off people in a mass email sounds kind of cold. And, and maybe the email was accompanied alongside with personal conversations, but it's really important for me if someone is laid off to have a conversation with them and and really give them the reasoning and 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 have a chat and hear them out and give them enforcement reinforcement that it's not about them because mm. people take it very personally very very personally and they they try to 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 think about oh why me why not someone else i'm not good enough i'm you know and i think it's very important outside of the severance package and all the you know benefits and all that what is going to happen with those people confidence mm. this is an amazing answer because it is so right all of these engineers are going to think why me why did they lay off me instead of steve steve sucks yeah. i'm better than steve maybe i'm not better than steve oh no maybe i suck maybe i shouldn't even be doing this so this is a great point to lay off or to let people know in person yeah everything and not via the email or maybe email or in person so i i'm gonna go, go ahead i'm sorry yeah and I, again i'm not trying to say that that's what they did yeah. uh, i hope they i like the transparency by the way how they're putting everything out in the open i like that but on the other hand i hope it's not the only way that people heard about it and, and i hope their managers talked with them explained to them and also supported them right i mean support emotionally and giving them some recommendations and whatever they need in order to move on i think that would go a long way and i think that as engineers we always hear never burn bridges never burn bridges because you never know uh so if you're leaving a company don't throw up the middle finger and say screw y'all right this is a really bad practice in engineering you never know you may have to go back and work there i think it's the same with companies don't burn bridges with your employees you obviously hired them because you thought they were smart so hey you may want to hire them again down the road because they're just as smart and so i think all these points that you're making are really good ways to not burn bridges with those really smart employees um Let's do an experiment. Mm -hmm. Lamore, listen, you're awesome, but I'm I'm gonna I'm about to lay you off, okay? So I'm gonna be the manager in this case. Okay. So <laughs> oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. By the way, I've never been a manager, an engineering manager of my life. I'm just a coder. Um, so I call you into my office. I say, hey, what's up, Lamore? How's it going? Um, Good. How are you, Chris? <laughs> I'm doing good, but honestly, I've been better. Unfortunately, we made some bold predictions as a company that's not working out, and we're gonna have to we're gonna have to let you go. I'm I'm sorry to tell you this. Um, as a company, we hired you because you're an amazing person and an amazing engineer. Our opinion has not changed of that. This has nothing to do with you. This has nothing to do with the code you write. We think it's awesome. I wish we could keep you. It, I, I think you're underpaid. We, I wish we could have paid you more. You're going to get an email with all your severance package, all of that information. I think you're going to be well taken care of. Um, just on a person to person level, I just want to say that it has been awesome working with you. You are one of the brightest people I have ever met in my entire life. And I know that in less than a year i'm really going to regret having this conversation because you're going to go out and kick so much ass so if you ever need anything from me from the company always reach out yes you are an employee but you're also my friend so reach out if you need anything and i hope that you do well how's that oh that's pretty good maybe you should well, become a manager <laughs> no <laughs> no no, I'm a code monkey. I'm a code monkey. <laughs> but I think that's what I want to hear as an engineer. You know, that's what I want to hear. I don't, I don't want to, I don't just want to be a number. I want to be a person. Yes. And all of us are people. And that's why um, we should be treated respectfully. And uh, when you tell someone that you let them go, 
you also need to allow them to absorb it. And I would say, okay, I'm really sorry. I know it's a shock for you and all that. I want you to take some time to think about it and let's meet again. And I'm going to answer all your questions. Because what happens is, especially if it's something that was not expected, people are just shocked. When you, when you tell them that, they are just shocked. Yeah. And and they sit and like look at you like their world just collapsed. But after they think about it for a day or two, they may have some questions. And then just opening that door for questions. Yeah, I'm here for you. When, when or if you want to talk about it, let's just schedule time and... We can talk. I want to let you kind of absorb it. I know it's hard. Yeah. So so allowing them because a lot of times they will think about it and then they oh why me, and yeah. and what have I done and and or sometimes they would ask give me feedback. Yeah. How can I do better? I mean, depending on the situation. So um, because eventually, even if you tell people that, yeah, we're cutting 14 percent or what have you, they will always ask themselves why. But why I'm part of those 14%? Unless you can explain it reasonably, like we cut a specific product line or whatever. I mean, you cut a specific piece of the company and all those people that were involved are getting laid off and you can explain that. But sometimes it's just specific people that were selected and you need to explain to those people why them. And that's a really hard question to answer because the answer... it. In the situation you explained, hey, we're not cutting off an entire section of the company. Mm -hmm. We're just cutting like maybe one or two employees from each section. And then you ask, well, how do you pick those one or two employees? And I think from the company perspective, isn't it usually always your bottom performer, right? Why would you cut the top performer? What if everyone are good? That's a good question. And maybe you cut the guy or girl who is who has some type of weakness. Uh, I'm assuming. I, I don't know. Uh, who has some type of weakness? Maybe they're abrasive. Maybe they do really rough code reviews that are uncalled for. Maybe they're paid too much. I don't know. What do you think? So it could be. It could be a variety of reasons. Um, it could be just plain, just called business impact, right? Sometimes if you have a team. And and it, you, and everyone are great, and you need all of them, right? Because always we don't have enough people to do the work, right? I mean, I haven't worked in any, in one team that had enough people, and and you're saying, oh my God, there's so much work to do, and now I have to let go of one person in my team. Who is it going? And everyone are great. I love everyone. Who is it going to be? A lot of times you just have to coldly think about impact. Which person is going to create the least impact? It could be because of, you know, some people you have to keep because they have very specific knowledge or maybe they have been in the company for long enough that they gained a lot of a lot of knowledge that you prefer to keep in-house if you can. Or maybe you picked a person that you know that maybe their motivation wasn't highest and maybe they will mm. decide anyway to, to move and you prefer to keep those who are more motivated. It could be a variety of reasons, not necessarily just the, the performance. I'm glad you said that. I think you really just educated me. Uh, being an engineer, uh, that's what I think. Hey, if I get laid off and the other guy didn't get laid off, he's obviously a better engineer than me. But you're right. It, there is a lot of different metrics as far as impact or motivation or maybe even social aspects in the, the team dynamic. Or maybe yeah. even, this is sad but true, but hey, man, Steve may not be the best engineer, but he really, really knows how that one feature works. And that code is kind of a nightmare. Nobody knows. If we let Steve go, we're going to have a really high learning curve to figure this yeah. out and fix bugs. Sad, but that's how it works, man. Um, so speaking of layoffs, I guess we can move to the next story uh, on Hacker News here. And that is more layoffs man lots of lots of tech layoffs going on here uh, so twitter is doing even larger layoffs i don't think the exact number is reported i don't think that a uh, a letter has been released by 
Elon or whoever, but the estimate is up to half of the employees at Twitter will be let go, which is about 3,200 employees. That's a lot. That's a, that's a lot. Um, and it's some of the things that kind of stuck out to me was it, it's bad timing for Elon to take over Twitter because one, a lot of tech companies are doing layoffs. As we just said, Stripe, there's, there's other very big tech companies that's doing layoffs. So I'm guessing Twitter may have done layoffs, even if Elon didn't take over, but Elon did take over. And I think he wanted to lay off a bunch of employees from the get go. So now we have half up to half of Twitter staff being laid off. What did you think of this? Yeah, it, it doesn't look good. <laughs> <laughs> it looks even to some degree hostile. Like, okay, he comes and just cuts deep. So what would you think as an employee, let's say you are a surviving employee. So you were one of the ones that didn't get laid off and you hear that half the company has gone. What, what's your morale looking like? What, what's your thought process? I would think that uh, I want to move out of there as quickly as possible. That that the person who bought a company cares only about the numbers. They don't care about the people. They all already have a reputation, and um, uh, and I would think that that's not that's not a company I want to stay. And I'm going to start looking. Obviously, it's not a good timing, as you mentioned. So I may not necessarily leave immediately, but I would definitely start thinking about it. Yeah, and, and he, by the way, he laid off also executives, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's not just. Uh, cutting the works for so it doesn't look good no it doesn't and i think something that struck me i think a lot of the news stories were saying oh he fired all the executives all these executives walked away with five plus million dollars in cash um so yeah they did get laid off which sucks but they got you know pretty big payday yeah it's not about the money it's Mm. as as it is about attitude it looks like a hostile takeover Someone comes in, cuts half of the company, and lays leadership off. So he's taking over. It's my company. I'm going to show you how it's done. Like it looks hostile. That's the thing. It's not obviously those execs. You don't need to worry about them monetarily. I mean, I'm sure that they are well taken care of, and money is not. It's not like they don't have money. Yeah. But it's about how it looks from the employee that works there. That, that's a really good point, too, is does he believe in the vision? I think for people that don't work at tech companies, a lot of tech companies are essentially like cults. Uh, you come on the tech company. This is our vision. A lot of uh, places have a vision statement. Um, they post it on walls. It's almost like a religion. I say cult. I'm, I'm just joking, of course. Uh, but it's very religion-esque. It's you're sold on this is our vision. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg, to connect the world. That was his vision, right? Connect the world. And you're sold on this. And every day, whenever you come in, you're lacking motivation. You're typing. You're like, oh, it's like, no, I'm, I'm going to connect the world. Okay, you chip her up. I'm here to connect the world. I'm doing good. I'm doing great. And to your point, this guy comes in and it, it is a hostile takeover. And he lays off half the staff, all the executives. The executives hold the vision. They are the mm-hmm. keepers of the flame. And to lay that all off, it's it's almost like whenever if you were in a religion and then you find out that it's all fake. What why do I keep yeah. going? You know? Yeah. So it's like that's why I said it's a hostile takeover. I whatever you have done, you've done it wrong. I'm gonna change everything. And and you kind of question what motivations he had for buying Twitter and what is he going to do with it. So obviously it's his way and he's going to change everything. And yeah, people I'll don't like it. change, at least not change that comes so <laughs> dramatically. Yeah, so abrupt. I'll tell a quick story. I was working at a small startup in Southern California and we had, I don't know, maybe five five to seven engineers. And we just kind of went through 
some more hiring. We hired our first UX person. We hired product manager. We didn't have a product manager. Uh, we hired more executives, more sales team. And we were like, boy, we were so excited. It was like, man, we, we're about to go to the moon. Super small company, less than 20 million evaluation. Like, wow, we're about to go to the moon. Hired all of these people. Morale was very high. We had meetings with the CEO. Because uh, mm -hmm. at, at small companies, the CEO like sits next to you, right? This is very common. Yeah. Um, guy wore flip-flops every day. And he's selling us on this new vision. And we're like, oh, wow, this is, this is really smart. These guys are so smart. I want to work so hard. Three months later, after we did all of this hiring, we laid off 99% of all those people. They got laid off. Um, the product manager got laid off. The UX got laid off. I don't think maybe one engineer got laid off. Salespeople got laid off. All of this. Whenever I was hired, I was told, hey, we have like a three to five year burn rate that if we didn't make a single dollar, three to five years were good. This is mm -hmm. like a year, year and a half after I was hired. And all of these people were laid off. It's like, bro, you just hired these people three months ago. And you couldn't think about that when you hired them. And now you laid them off. People were crying. It was, yeah. it, it's it so really bad. Yeah. Yeah. It's so emotional. And you start to question that. Like you said, huh, is the vision real? Do these people really know what the hell they're talking about? Am I yeah, next? I think, I think it creates, first of all, a mistrust. Mm. Uh, if this person hired people and then laid them off so quickly, I, I wouldn't trust him as a leader. Like he doesn't know what he's doing because mm. you don't do that. Unless there were some external circumstances that happened, you had no control over them and it changed dramatically. But other than that, I mean, if you do that, it it just shows that you're not thinking through. A hundred percent. And then especially kind of the way they were handled, it wasn't like this, how Stripe handled it. The CEO didn't come say and say, hey, this is on me. He tried to sell us on a new vision of the future. It says, hey, we... we went the wrong way a couple months ago, but now we know that's the wrong way, but we're going the right way. And it's like, you're not gonna talk about my friend you just fired? And by the way, this is a small startup, so they didn't get 16 weeks of severance and stuff like that. The package wasn't great, and they were shady about it. So I was like, oh man, this sucks. Like two months later, the CFO left, and like a month after that, the CEO left, and we promoted a new CEO. And so the entire culture of the company was just, it was bad, man. It was bad. All the engineers were looking for new jobs. It was, it was really rough. So I'm, I imagine people at Twitter are going through something similar, maybe worse. And they, I don't know. I don't know. I guess maybe they're looking for jobs right now. I think they're just thinking about it. Yeah, they, they may, may, maybe they pull up that resume and they're like, huh, do I freshen up this resume or uh, some just some numbers, I think, just to kind of see where where maybe Elon was coming from. Uh, something I found kind of interesting was they said that Twitter's revenue per employee was very low uh, in comparison to other tech companies. And I think this, this was true. So for each employee Twitter had, they made about $676,000 in revenue. For example, uh, Meta or AKA Facebook makes about $1.6 million per employee. Um, so that's about a million more. And Netflix is like 2.6 million per employee. So maybe that's some of the metrics Elon was looking at. Um, maybe not. Something else that I would like to hear your opinion on is <laughs> I thought this was hilarious. I don't may, maybe you're you're about to shed light on you're about to blow my mind. But this this was a quote from the article from TechCrunch on the layoffs. It says Musk's team has already tried to evaluate the product productivity of Twitter employees by asking engineers to print out the code they have written in the last 30 to 60 days. So they wanted code printed on a piece of paper. Is this some weird tactic? Why why the hell is that an accurate way? to judge the productivity of an engineer? Absolutely not. <laughs> and print out, I mean, that's uh, showing mistrust, first of all. Yeah. Uh, you don't trust people, so, oh, show me what you've done. I'm gonna count the lines of code you've written, and then I'll <laughs> see how much value you provide. And that creates 
the atmosphere of code monkeys, right? We are just writing code, doesn't matter what it is. The more that's lines of point. code you do, the better you are. And I think that's the wrong way of doing things. Again, it doesn't mean sometimes there are problems with people and you do look and you do look at PRs and, and you do check. I, I had situations where people were not committing code and were not, but you knew that it wasn't just the amount of code, but there are some extreme cases where you see people are not pulling their weight. They are behind. They are not being meeting, you know, the commitments. And then you sense there is a problem. But in general, I mean, I don't see that that's the way to quantify if someone is doing a good job. And, you know, lines of code is not a good metric. No way is it. I've spent weeks on a bug and wrote one line of code to fix it. Weeks. Now, was I doing nothing? Absolutely not. It's the suckiest work you could possibly do. You're just digging through, you're going through log files, the debugger, uh, and it's one line of code to fix it. This is, this is unfortunately all too common. Mm -hmm. I could only imagine, like, I'm an engineer at Twitter, and I get the email, and say, oh, okay, <laughs> I can see a line of engineers at the copy machine. <laughs> They're all at the copy machine. I got to print out my code, got to hand it in to <laughs> Mr. Musk. <laughs> Here you go, Mr. Musk, I got my code. <laughs> Here's my code. I hope it's uh it's Python and it's well documented. I hope you enjoy it. <laughs> oh my goodness. What, like what in the world do you mail it in? Do you hand it to a manager? Do you hole punch it? Do you put it in a binder? Do you put it in a tablet? Do you uh laminate it? Do you get bonus points for laminating it? Should you highlight it like syntax highlighting on an IDE? What in the world? What was he thinking? I don't know. <laughs> So let me give <laughs> that that is just hilarious. I, I have a feeling that that may not be the whole story. I hope it's not, because that is that's one of the most Yeah, I hope it's not. I yeah, I hope this I is some fake news or something, but that is the most crazy thing I've ever heard. So here's here would be like argument. Tell me what you think about this. So an argument would be that, hey, Twitter is a pretty simple technical app. I think most engineers worth their weight in code or whatever you want to call it can code up a basic Twitter clone in a week. And, you know, it won't have everything. The algorithm won't be fancy, but it's, it's super simple. So why couldn't you run it with a bare bones team? What Maybe you, you could. Maybe you could. I don't know. I don't know enough to say. But even if you could, I think that the way he did it is just too harsh. Yeah. Maybe the decision is right. It could be. Maybe the company has too many employees and he needs to cut. But the way it was done, it was too too abrupt. Yeah, I think that's a fair criticism. Uh, here's a side tangent. What if you were Elon Musk's ex-girlfriend and you... <laughs> <laughs> you've been talking to your new boyfriends on Twitter. You've been hitting up, you know, all these new guys or whatever on Twitter. Now Elon Musk can look at your DMs. Oh no. <laughs> Would you be scared? No. I don't, I don't think he has time for that. I don't think so. Either. I hope he doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> or could you imagine if maybe you're like a big critic of Elon? It's like, oh no, I was I tweeted out my or I, put in my DMs, my address or something like that. I, if I was Elon Musk's ex-girlfriend, I would delete my Twitter. I would have to. Um, here's something I think a lot of people just in general, the Elon takeover of Twitter is it always seems like he tries to challenge the status quo in like really dramatic ways. And he's, he's been successful. Um, electric cars, uh, rockets that can land themselves, self-driving cars. Like these are all things that Elon has had huge impacts on that we wouldn't think were even on our radar maybe 15, 20 years ago. But how do you challenge the status quo in such a major way with Twitter? I mean, it's just, he. I think he said he wants it to be the town square. Is that really challenging the status quo? What do you think will be the state of Twitter in two years? 
I have no idea. To be honest, I don't know what he wants to do with it. Mm, I don't either. Um, but speaking of Twitter, that brings us to our next story. I don't know. Were you able to read this entire Twitter thread? I read, but I, I, I'll need you to explain what's going on there. I'm not yeah. sure I completely understand. I don't know if I do either. Um, <laughs> so this was a really, I, I'd have to say a really interesting Twitter thread, whether you agree or disagree. It's interesting. So the ex-CEO of Reddit, uh, Reddit is a huge social media platform. This guy used to be the CEO of Reddit, did a, a ginormous, the biggest Twitter thread I've ever seen on moderation, content moderation. This is a super hot topic. Um, who do you ban, censor? What do you allow to be said on your platform and not said on your platform? Um, this is a really tough question. I think everybody can acknowledge that. Um, and this guy kind of gave his thoughts. And he comes from an educated perspective because he ran one of the biggest social media companies in the world. And from what I took from it, was and i think this is a quote from him content moderation is not a censorship is censorship issue it's a signal to noise issue meaning for those who think that's a confusing term meaning whenever you see text whenever you see posts on a social media platform what is signal meaning good quality content um, and what is noise, such as spam, maybe hate, bickering, stuff like this. This is noise. This is stuff that nobody really wants to see, but it's there. And so that's what he kind of shapes the entire thing as, as a signal to noise problem. And he makes a lot of compelling cases. I think one of them is, is imagine you were running a social media site and it was in an alien language. So this is not English. This is some alien language. And you're tasked with moderate the content. What he was saying was that you can still moderate that content somewhat successfully, even if you don't know what the words mean, because you can kind of pattern match. You can say, okay, this guy posted this 20 times. That's spam. Remove. And maybe, okay, this guy is posting the same thing but slightly changed the same argument in a bunch of different threads. So he's going to like maybe every post about Israel and saying bad things or, you know, somewhat the same thing and getting negative reactions. So that's bad. And it was really interesting to hear. And I would encourage anybody to go read it, but it's, it can be deep. It's very long. It's very long. What, what's your opinions on just in general, social media content moderation? It's a tough question. You know, I don't have a definite answer. I mean, and I don't know if just noise is the right determination because there's so much noise, right? I mean, there's so much content out there and there's so much noise and not everything is controversial. There are some things that are just nonsense. Mm -hmm. There's so much nonsense out there that people consume. And do you want to remove that? I mean... Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So that, that's a great point too. So whenever you censor something or you remove it, whenever you remove it for being spreading, maybe false information, fake news, anything like that, you kind of give it credibility by removing it is what I think. For example, if I go on Twitter right now and I say, Lamore is a dinosaur. She's not a real person. She's a freaking dinosaur guys. Come arrest her dinosaur police. I don't think I'll get removed. But if I go and I say, um, hey, uh, Bill Gates is trying to put microchips in us with the vaccines, it's going to get removed. Why? Because they say it's false information. Well, me calling you a dinosaur is false information too. Why did you remove the other one? Yeah, it's, uh, it's involved with politics, obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's completely biased. I mean, depending who has the more power, and nope. yeah, the vaccination thing was a huge thing also here in Israel. And uh, there's it caused, caused a lot of emotional reactions, right? Both ways. Some were opponents for it and some were really fighting back against the vaccines and uh, a lot of conspiracy theories and all that. 
But eventually, who wants to control that? So governments want everyone to be vaccinated. And the pharmaceutical companies also want everyone to be vaccinated. So there, there is a motive. Mm-hmm. So when does it come legit to come against something? And when it's not, is related a lot to the motives of governments and big companies, big corporations. So you think maybe whenever it comes to the vaccines are a great example, whenever it comes to big stuff like that, you think that maybe the censorship, the censorship will fall more in favor of the big, powerful entities who benefit yeah. from the censorship? Okay. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's a pretty easy theory to test. Uh, just, you know, go back and look in history. I think with the vaccine in particular, it was obviously uh, very the 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 sentiment was very pro vaccine. And if you were critical of the vaccine, then you it was pretty much universal that you would be um, your opinion would get censored. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people didn't like this. And back to my point is why censor that? Why you kind of make a martyr out of it whenever you censor it. It's like you you say, hmm, there may be a little bit of truth in here. You know, hmm, there may be a little bit of truth. Or to your point, I don't know, maybe it's hmm, maybe by saying that you're going to hurt this big powerful thing and we don't want that to happen um i think whenever it comes to content moderation first of all i'm not an expert uh at all but i feel like let's let's just think about real life we don't really do content moderation in real life um now people will say, oh, you can't yell fire in a movie theater like that. Come on, man. That's way different. That's way different. And I think the reason we don't moderate content in real life is because real life has real life consequences. For example, if I go on the internet and say, hey, Stacy, you're fat and ugly. You're fat and ugly. You're fat and ugly. You're fat and ugly. Stupid. You're fat, ugly, stupid. You're fat, ugly, stupid. I'm probably going to get banned, right? That's not nice. Yeah. If I if I go up to Stacy in real life and I say, "Hey, Stacy, you're fat and ugly. You're fat and ugly. You're fat and ugly. You're fat and ugly." Stacy's boyfriend is going to punch me. If she has a boyfriend, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Or even even if she doesn't, people, you know, a lot of people are like, "Man, what the?" F-? And someone will probably tell me to shut up, which they should. Hopefully, but it could go other ways. That other people will join you. Oh man. You're right. You're right. But I guess we don't have this content moderation in real life. So do you think maybe we should have this in real life? I mean, you hear all the stories, uh, you know, about the kids that are being harassed in school Hmm. by other kids. And it's wrong, right? Even if it's not on social media. It's not different. Social media just makes it easier. Mm-hmm. And anonymous. Yeah. So I, th- I think the kids is, is actually a really good example because kids in school don't yet, they don't quite realize the power their words have. And I think that words have more power over kids because they're, you know, more sensitive. They're usually much more vulnerable. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, th- that's a really good point. I think. If we had a kid in school, I think everybody would say, hey, do you want the teacher to stop bullying? I think everybody would say, yeah, right? Yeah, so bullying, I mean, uh, in social media versus in school, both of them are wrong, right? Yeah, but bullying outside of school, let's say in the supermarket, we know it's wrong, but there's no higher power such as a teacher who's stopping us. Do you think that that one should exist for adults? That's a tough question. I don't have a concrete answer because how, then how do you define bullying and what is bullying and where do you should intervene? Yeah, I think same question for kids. If Okay, so obviously if I call a girl fat or ugly or a guy fat or ugly, that's bullying. 
But what if I say, hey, Steve, you got some dirty shoes, man. That's it. You got some dirty shoes. Your shoes are dirty. That's it. Is that bullying? Uh, I don't know. It's tough. It's tough, yeah. But uh, I think that one of the root things is that if whenever you bully or say shitty stuff online, there's really no consequences except getting banned. And then you create another account and say the exact same thing. In real life, you don't do that. Even if I'm walking by a guy or a girl and I think bad stuff about them, I won't say it one because that's really mean. I don't I don't want to hurt anybody. But even if I was an asshole and I did want to hurt them, I wouldn't say it because it's like, I don't know. Because whenever you lash out at someone, you kind of say you give them permission to lash out at you. So what if I say, hey, Stacy, you're fat and ugly. And what if she says, hey, you're short and stupid. Like, oh, no, it hits different. I guess in real life It's weird. Also, it's easier to put it on social media and to say to someone in their face. It's different. It's different. Yeah, it, it it feels different when someone tells you something like that to your face. It hurts. So that is my opinion on the content moderation is that there's no real consequences. I think you see, for example, on LinkedIn, your identity is always tied to your profile. Like you can't create an anonymous LinkedIn account, really. It would be pointless. That's why on LinkedIn, no one is mean to each other because <laughs> They'll, they'll know, oh, you said this really mean thing? Oh, I don't want to hire you. Oh, I don't want you to join my book club. Like, look, you're a dick. But I can join Twitter as easygoing1234 and say whatever I want. What do you think? Do you think that being anonymous plays a big part in how shitty you are? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. Um, but I think... Yeah, I think that's it. To sum up his thread, I think it was that what I took away was that it's not, in his opinion, it's not a censorship thing. A lot of people think they're censoring certain political opinions. What it sounded like he was saying was that we're going to censor anything that makes our experience on this social media site poor, bottom line. And that just because we censor a political opinion in uh pursuit of that same goal doesn't mean we didn't censor somebody else who was just calling someone fat and ugly so i thought that was interesting do you do you have anything to add on the content moderation not really not really awesome well i think that is that was all we had on the docket today um cool. where can people find you on linkedin of course <laughs> I'm I'll also put, on Twitter, but I'm I'm less active there. Maybe I should uh, delete my <laughs> Twitter profile now. <laughs> do it. Just do chill. it. Yeah, LinkedIn probably. LinkedIn. Um, cool. I'll put your link. I'll I'll put all of your social links in the show notes. Is that okay? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I'll put all that in the show notes. Um, anything else you want me to add? Just let me know. Of course. Um, besides that, Lamore, I think you are a brilliant, fascinating person with a beautiful soul. I ask that you don't ever stop talking because I enjoy, I enjoy listening to what you say. Thank you so much for Thank coming you. on the podcast. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed our conversation, Chris. Yeah, thanks. Thanks.